You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Mikey Campbell, and with me today, Neil Hughes, Managing Editor. How you doing, Mikey? Pretty good. Uh, Episode 54 today. Probably going to start out with uh, the March event. What's going on with that? Well, uh, the rumors are March 15th, Apple's going to hold an event, and they're going to announce a couple new products. Uh, We're going to get a new 4-inch iPhone, which we've been talking about breathlessly for a few uh, months now. And we are also going to get a new third-generation iPad Air. What are you most excited about? Well, I know what you're most excited about. <laughs> I mean. You know, I'm I'm actually uh, kind of not excited about the four inch iPhone just because I don't think I can get it. You know, I I think that uh, it sacrifices too much. For for starters, I use like 100 gigs on my 128 gig phone. So if there is no 128 gig four inch iPhone, then I'm immediately out. Right. I like the smaller form factor. If it had all the six S innards. I would gladly sacrifice 3D touch for the smaller form factor, but I don't think I'm going to get that. I'm guessing it's going to be more of a mid-range uh, kind of phone, uh, not the, the latest and greatest specs. And then, of course, you do the thing where you buy the 4-inch iPhone in March, and then like a few months later in September, there's an iPhone 7 that comes out, and then you're like, damn it, I want that phone. Well, do you think it's uh, going to be so gimped that you're gonna that you're gonna notice or do you think that it's gonna have at least a bit of parity with the current 6s because i mean it's it's gonna have to last the new upcoming seven cycle right yeah i guess the question becomes how often do they want to update it do they want to do an annual upgrade cycle on this or is it gonna be more like an ipod touch where it's like when we get around to it because remember last year's ipod touch uh update um, we we were exclusive to report that it was coming, but even we didn't know that it was going to have an A8 processor. At the time, that was pretty shocking that a $200 uh, uh, media player ran the same chip as the latest and greatest iPhone at the time. Um, so it's certainly possible, and the precedent's been set, that it could have a A9 chip with 2 gigs of RAM and, and all that. Um, that would be awesome. If it's got an A9 chip in it and... Uh, same camera as a success and the only thing it's missing is touch i or 3d touch then i'm probably gonna get it but i i don't i can't see them doing that because then where would the iphone 6 fit in the lineup you know you're gonna pay more to get a larger phone that has a slower processor and and uh, and all that kind of stuff I, I they're gonna cut corners somewhere probably put a six chip in there the a8 chip and uh, the slower touch ID as well. But in that, but in that case, it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't support the, uh, the M9 coprocessor, right? So, no. I mean, so that's embedded in the A9. So it would be. So I mean, you a would lot lose the, the always on Hey Siri functionality, which yeah uh, is something that I use a lot. So yeah, if they don't have an A9 in there, I'm out. It's got to be the latest chip. That's that's just the starting point for me. Just because I've already been using a 6S for, you know, four months now or whatever it's been. So by the time they announce this in March, I'm not going to take a step back for a smaller phone, as much as I like the idea of a smaller phone. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a. I'm thinking of you know like the the major build material costs, um, and I think I, what the the new 3D touch array is probably one of the more significant ones. But if they don't include that, um, I think people would see it as a misstep. But I don't know what else they could skimp on aside from the processor. Yeah. I mean, the, the memory, if it's only got, if it maxes out at 64 gigs, the rumors are there'll be a 16 gig entry level model and then a 64 gig model. So, you know, for people looking for that, fine, that kind of phone, for most people, 64 is fine. But I take so many photos and videos and have so many apps and stuff on my phone that I can't go back to, you know, I was the guy that held on to, uh, with, uh, to his last dying breath, the 160 gig iPod Classic. Cause I had all my music on there and until iTunes match came out and all that kind of stuff, I couldn't have all my music cause I have like over 160 gigs worth of music. So I have like 20, 26,000 songs or something. So, uh, I, I need to have that much capacity on my phone. That's just, the, I have like 10,000 photos on my phone. I'm, I, I'm, I'm insane. I know, but I don't want them in the cloud. Cause if I go back and find a photo from a couple of years ago, which I do quite often, uh, then it's got to download and use my data. And blah, blah. it's like, I'd rather just have it all on there. I don't want to mess around with that stuff. Yeah, I can I can see the headlines now that uh, Apple is still offering the 16 gigabyte. Oh, people are going to complain about that no matter what. Please, come on. So, you know, my mom has an iPhone and she she never uses anything on it other than you know taking the occasional photo and sending a text and stuff. She would never fill up 16 gigs if her life depended on it. it for a lot of people, it's fine. I, the problem becomes when it won't install updates because it says you're out of space, but that's an even bigger space, uh, issue for iCloud than it is for the iPhone itself. How many people do you know that say, it keeps bugging me to upgrade my iCloud storage and, and, I, and I don't know what to do? And they can't back up their iPhone because they have like, a lot of times there's like they swapped out their phone and the old backup's on there or something. Yeah, yeah. All right, so listen, I, don't, I, I know you think that the 4-inch iPhone is what's got me really excited, but you're actually wrong. Am I? What's got me excited is iPad Air 3, even though I won't buy one, I'll stick with my Pro, but smart connector on the iPad Air 3 is what the latest leaks suggest. Right. But what, why are you excited about that, though? Because it's going to be... What, what specs have you, uh, have you most titillated? Well, I mean... I'm a big proponent of the smart connector. I think that the smart connector has the potential to be something pretty awesome, like uh, MagSafe with data is basically what you're looking at here. Now, it's not to that level yet. It's going to take some time. they got to upgrade the specs on it, but it's a first-generation thing. And I you know, I don't like messing around with Bluetooth and, and all that crap. I don't want to do that stuff You know, when I'm connecting something. I want to have something that I can just kind of snap on there and have it work when I want it to be. And I've talked about this before on the podcast. I see the iPad as the future of computing in that it becomes a device that you need at a given point in time. It can be a laptop replacement. It can be a tablet. It can be whatever. It can be what you need it to be. Right. And so I think right. the smart connector enables that. Imagine for this podcast, if we could have some sort of a custom docking station with USB ports on it where I could set it down and have a microphone there and a keyboard and just prop it on there and then it, it turns into my podcasting station. 
does it does it support the bandwidth for that kind of uh, application though supposedly not but nobody really knows because the specs aren't out and there are no smart connector accessories out there right now except for the logitech create and apple's own keyboard there's nothing else nothing was announced at ces so this is like when lightning first came out it's going to take some time for the accessory makers to really get on board and get behind it and invest in it You've seen a lot of keyboard makers, like uh, my favorite, uh, Bridge, uh, announced an iPad Pro keyboard, but it's still Bluetooth. It's not using a smart connector. Womp womp. Right. So it's going to take some time for that stuff to come around. And from what I understand, what's interesting is in the documentation when they announced it and stuff, Apple said that uh, the smart connector could both transmit and receive power. Now, why would they advertise that if the only purpose of the smart connector is to allow non-powered accessories like the keyboards and stuff that can have a backlight or whatever. Why would they advertise that the iPad can receive power from the accessory? To because they're they're going to launch something like a battery pack? I, I don't I don't know that the specifications allow for something like that right now, but imagine if uh, you know, an iPad Pro 3 or something down the line had the new second-generation smart connector, and you could dock your iPad and charge it while using it with accessories. Yeah, I mean, that seems feasible. Uh, it's kind of... I mean, it's getting closer to bridging the gap, right, between Mac and uh, and iPad, but it's, it's still missing uh, those those key applications that you can run on on OS 10. Yeah, I mean, there's no support for... You, you can't get, like, the USB adapter and plug in your Mac mic and just have it work. We're not there yet. Um, maybe one day we will be. But that's where I see the... That's where I'm excited about the smart connector, and that's why I'm excited that Apple's doubling down and aggressively bringing it to the iPad Air 3. Not because I plan on getting an iPad Air 3, but because I think the smart connector could if Apple plays their cards right and if accessory makers buy in, uh, could be a huge uh, game changer for the future of the iPad. I mean, let's forget keyboards, all right? You can come up with any kind of keyboard you want. Let's think about anything else that could connect to this. Think about how you could just prop your iPad down and and on a musical instrument or on a... uh, uh, you know, whatever, a, a microphone dock or something like that. Run down the list of things that you could do with this to put your iPad somewhere. You know, you have a kitchen accessory or something like that. You bring your iPad with you, put it down on the connector. It works. And it becomes what you need at that moment. It can be a laptop. It can be a terminal. It can be a, a podcasting station. It can be a TV. It can be uh, a musical instrument. It can be whatever. And all it takes is you snapping some magnetic thing on there or putting it down on it, and bam. And now you got it. Right. Right, but, I mean, accessory makers are going to, I mean, and, or musical instrument makers or whatever, I mean, they're going to have to make a choice, right, between whether to allow you to connect via lightning or smart connector. Right. I mean, so which would they choose? I mean, iPad losing a lot of ground in the tablet market. That's what, that's what we don't know, and that's the frustrating part. What are the specifications yeah. of the smart connector? How, how much better is it than Lightning? What are the power capabilities of it? What is the data transmission rate? Are, is, is it so gimped that all we're going to get with this first generation is keyboards? Uh, and then where is Apple planning on taking it? 
that's that's why I, I wonder why they said it was capable of both receiving and transmitting power. I'm guessing it doesn't receive enough power to recharge an iPad. So why would you why would you want some juice coming over that? Maybe they're implying that powered accessories can also connect to it and do cool stuff. You know, things that might be a little more complex than just a keyboard. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting to think about. I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, and there's also the thing where you have to use it in uh, landscape orientation. Right. Um, unless one day they also put a smart connector on the bottom. What if they replace lightning? With it? <laughs> what if what if smart connector is the lightning replacement? I guess, but they're going to have to bump up those specs from what we heard um, right. previously. Yeah, right? but I'm, I'm thinking five years down the road, right? I'm not thinking... I'm not thinking iPhone 7 kind of stuff. I'm thinking I'm thinking what if this is where they want it to go? You know, a portless device with magnetic charging, you can just set it down and let it charge. I I don't I, don't, I mean I'm just spitballing at this point obviously, but I'm excited for the smart connector and that's why I'm excited for these rumors with the iPad Air 3. The other stuff about it, who cares? Uh, the cases make it look like it's going to have a camera flash. Oh boy. Um, why? Why are they? Why are they promoting use of an iPad camera? Because come people on, do come it. on, Apple, please stop. So please, it would be weird to me if they did it for a number of reasons, including the fact that you would think that they would have just brought it to the iPad Pro if they're planning on doing it on the Air Three. But um, I'm guessing the processor probably won't be as powerful as the one in the Pro. The, the Pro's got four gigs of RAM. I could see them doing, you know three or something or two on the iPad Air 3 and making it an A9 chip and not an A9X. Um, and other than that, you know, the same thing, the four-speaker array. So it's going to be a smaller iPad Pro uh, based on the, the leaked schematics and stuff. I think that's a, you know, if they sell that for 500 bucks, I think that's a pretty good product, right? I'll stick, with the, pick, I'll stick you know. with the larger screen. I prefer the larger screen, but... Yeah. I was thinking, like, what if the... I mean, one day Apple is going to start going towards wireless charging, right? So for a lot of people, that's maybe like the only reason why they use the lightning port. They don't use it for data transfer or to connect peripherals. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, one day they could delete that port entirely, switch the data transfer and stuff over to the smart connector. Mm -hmm. And and then they would have they would have space for both and it would i guess look nicer yeah i mean if you if you go through that process now of trying to get stuff to connect uh and talk to each other it's a little cumbersome right so uh i have a a sony alpha camera with built-in wi-fi and i have to uh connect my ipad or my iphone to a wi-fi network broadcast by the uh, camera with some crazy password on it and then I have to launch the Sony app which is a piece of junk and then I got to select the photos I want to transfer and it's like this whole wireless future or even Bluetooth you know you connect to the speaker you lose the connection you're connected to the wrong thing you know you go back oh is it on is it turned off there's a lot of just hassle with this kind of stuff that uh, sometimes you just don't want to deal with that. Uh, GoPro is kind of the same way. You know, you can connect over Bluetooth, but is it on? Is it on with the Bluetooth or without? Did it turn it off to save the battery? Now you open the app. Oh, the connection was lost, and it's like, oh, geez. Some yeah. some of that's simpler on some Android devices because of NFC, uh, where you can tap. Like the Sony camera has NFC capabilities in it, and 
and theoretically, Apple could do something like that because they have NFC chip in the iPhone, but they don't seem inclined to do it. They just want to use NFC for Apple Pay. I feel like we're getting shortchanged on the wireless revolution. <laughs> because it's, it's difficult, though. Hearing. Like, if everybody's got a wireless device... And you want to sometimes even share that wireless device with other people, right? I mean, multiple people may want to use the same speaker or something like that. Just having stuff work is, is kind of difficult. That's why I'm, uh, I'm not a Bluetooth speaker guy. I'm an AirPlay guy. Um, I have just a one-bedroom apartment, but I have three AirPlay zones in my apartment uh, because it's just that much easier. And anybody who comes over to my place, once they get on my Wi-Fi, they can automatically access my AirPlay speakers and control the music and play what they want. And it works great. Or no one, uh, none of your friends have AirPlay, so it, it makes the it makes the process much easier. Right. <laughs> but yeah, Bluetooth, I mean, it's fine for the speakers and stuff like that. It's just not as convenient when you got to turn the device on, blah, 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 go do this, do that, go do that. In my home, my speakers are always on. They're connected to Airport Expresses or in the case of my Denon receiver, it's just always kind of sitting in the background. And then I can just hit a button and, and start playing music in whatever zone I want. Unfortunately, Apple has kind of uh, not paid attention to AirPlay in years. So even though I have a super powerful iPad Pro, it cannot stream to uh, more than one AirPlay device at once, unlike my Mac, which can do that. I'm guessing that's not a limitation of hardware. That's probably just Apple forgot about AirPlay. Yeah, well, I mean, they kind of consciously forget about a lot of stuff for iOS, right? Right. Uh, oh, well. Well, I, on the topic of uh, 3D Touch, which the iPad is supposed to have, the new one, um, which would make me very upset, by the way, with uh, having the Pro and not having it on there. Wait, you, you think that the iPad Air 3 is going to have 3D Touch? Could be. No. I mean, that's the rumor. No, that's not the rumor. I, I never heard that rumor. No. Where was that? There's a, ru- there's a rumor no, out there about there's, that. I guarantee you they're not going to do that. There is no way. No way. You never know. No, it's not happening. <laughs> There would Didn't be, Ming-Chi of course, Kuo say that they they can't like blow it up or whatever uh, to the size of the iPad yet. They don't have the technology for it. Uh, yeah, but they're trying. Well, of course so they're trying. I mean, it'll come in the next couple of years, be. but they're it they're not going to well, introduce it on the five hundred dollar model when they got an eight hundred dollar model out there that can't do it. It's not going to happen. Okay, well, well, one day when that comes, one day, yeah, not this year. Yeah, but it, interestingly. Uh, I mean, part of 3D, a big part of 3D touch is the haptic feedback, right? right? I mean, which is, you know, part audio, but mostly uh, tactile. Yeah. So how are they going to do that on an iPad that doesn't have, you know, a, uh, are we, a vibration We're going to finally get rumble in the uh, iPad? It, I would feel, I feel like it would ha- they'd have to have like two motors or, or more. Yeah, probably more, to especially even, for a pro, right? Yeah, well, they'd have to probably put like, I don't know four in the in the pro just to even get people to feel it because it's not like an iPhone where you hold it in your hand and you can feel it throughout your fingers. Yeah, that's a difficult. That's an interesting point you raise. It's kind of a difficult uh, thing to do. I would I would assume they would do something like uh, like amping up the sound or something. I mean, you can make the the iPad kind of vibrate a bit with the speakers. Um, especially with a pro, right? I guess they could do something like that, like maybe, maybe output an uh, an audio waveform or something that you can't hear but you can feel. I don't know. It's weird to me that um, none of the Apple uh, controllers, uh, the sanctioned controllers for iOS, support Rumble, considering that's mm. been a standard feature of game controllers since the Nintendo sixty four came out. 
Yeah, right. I don't know. Maybe they're uh, maybe they're worried about it shaking apart because of the uh, <laughs> spotty build quality. Maybe I don't know. But that's just one of those things where it's like that's not Apple's bread and butter gaming. So it's like, oh, yeah. Of course they didn't get that right because that's not what they do. But yeah, I think some sort of rumble in the iPad wouldn't be a bad thing. Is it would have to be kind of like a subtle in your hands type thing, but. I don't know how, I, I, like you were saying, I don't know how they do that with the motors and stuff like that. That just seems like it would be kind of a, a, a interesting technical achievement. They'll make the battery an integral. They'll make the battery the weight for the motor. <laughs> It'll be just the battery shaking yeah. back and forth. Um. So, anyway, as I was saying about 3D Touch, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> Apple's issued, well, not issued, but they were they filed for a semi-interesting patent that uh, would bring similar technology to the iPhone and iPad Touch ID home button. So, I mean, now when you look at the iPhone, right, the only, well, the iPhone 6S, the only part of the front-facing surface that it does not have some sort of force-sensitive input is the home button, which is oddly the only thing that actually moves back and forth <laughs> um, so it, it opens up the door to uh, a whole bunch of possibilities really um, as I as I said in the report like uh, for example you know how uh, on Apple watch you can respond to texts with you know so-called intelligent res- replies right? right so imagine that coming to iPhone, but instead of uh, interacting with the screen, you know, you, you touch a button, then the screen turns on, then you move your thumb, you know, swipe through a bunch of responses on the screen. You can do that all with uh, with just your thumb and, you know, varying your pressure on the Touch ID button. So, um, it, I guess, do you, you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you could you unlock the phone, press a little harder, uh, text pops up right and then you press a little harder and then you can cycle through all those responses with just uh you know just by varying the pressure of your thumb and releasing message sent so i mean it, it's an interesting uh it's an interesting piece of uh ip what do you what do you think about it i really enjoyed uh reading your report this morning because it was one of those things where uh as i read it i was like this makes so much sense that I'm surprised that I didn't think of it before. You know, it's like kind of one of those no brainer things where it's like, of course, a pressure sensitive home button would add a lot of context. The greatest example of this, if you have an iPhone six or six S and you're running iOS nine, how many times have you pulled your phone out of your pocket and hit the home button twice? And instead of unlocking it, it's got Apple pay up. That happens to me all the time, all the time. Yeah. So, if they could do something where it's like, you know, press firmly and hold like a uh, peek and pop type thing with the, with the home button, uh, then that would be uh, one way of doing it. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of interesting things you could do. Um, giving more context to what the phone does when you unlock it, like unlock it and take me here. Like, for example, let's say you have... Uh, messages on the screen and right now it's kind of if you have touch id enabled it's kind of a convoluted process where let's say you're using um 
what 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 is the uh, term that Apple has for when you start one thing on one device and finish it on another? It's on the tip of my tongue. Continuity. 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 Thank you. Uh, let's say you're using continuity and you're reading something on your Mac or you got directions open on your Mac or your iPad or whatever and you want to open them up on your iPhone. Right now, you got to go to your phone, swipe up from the bottom left of the screen before touching the home button. So basically, press the lock button, swipe up from the bottom left of the screen to access whatever you were doing on the other device. Then put your thumb over the thumb over the touch ID sensor to unlock the phone. So it's a three-step process to get your phone unlocked to where you wanted to go. Uh, now imagine if you could um, instead do a more firm touch on the Touch ID sensor and that would then automatically pull up whatever you're doing on another device. Or you have text messages on your screen that you want to reply to. You swipe uh, right on them to access it. And again, you have to do the same thing. Press the lock button so you don't unlock the phone. View the text messages, swipe on the text message, then unlock the phone by pressing your thumb on the Touch ID, and that takes you right to the message you want to respond to. What if they could use something like that to simplify that process and make it so that you didn't have to make it a three-step process to unlock your phone? Yeah. I mean, that's a good idea. And it's kind of disappointing that it's not on there now, right? Well, yeah, Touch ID is, is, is great, but it creates a whole mess of problems like I just described, where things that you used to do before when you didn't have Touch ID on your iPad, for example, uh, now it's just like another step, another process. And of course, okay, here we are complaining about the half a second it takes us to do this. Yes, it is stupid to complain about that, but it is a step backwards from the way things were before. And if Apple could do something to keep that convenience and security of Touch ID while also just making it easier to access a device, why wouldn't they consider it? I mean, you could say the same thing for 3D Touch, right? How difficult is it to just tap on a photo and open it? Why do I have to press and hold on it? Yeah. I still haven't really trained myself to use or 3D Touch. I, I mean, sometimes I forget it's there, yeah. and then sometimes it's like, uh, I don't know. It's it. There hasn't There hasn't been like a killer like app or killer feature that you know i really think uh is oh that that is so great i'm gonna use it all the time i use it a lot in um safari and the Mm. reason i use a lot in safari is like if you're on a website that's not mobile optimized and there's a bunch of links everywhere half the time you're hitting the screen and it opens a long wrong link and it's like oh geez then you gotta go back and then find zoom in find the right link so what i'll do is i'll press firmly and hold on the link to make sure that I'm opening the right one and I'll peek and then I'll pop to open it up to make sure I got the right one open Um, and then I'll also do it like if I'm editing a URL or something like that um, editing text um, I will uh, do the the firm touch on the keyboard the problem with that is it gets a little wonky too because like let's say I'm changing a URL or something like that and I want to go somewhere else and manually type it in and I want to scroll all the way to the right and not delete the whole URL and re-enter everything, then I'll have to firmly press and push to the right side of the keyboard, and then it stops at some point, and then the cursor doesn't go any farther. And it's like, uh, right. and then you try to take your thumb off and press again, and then it doesn't work the second time when you try to do it. So then I'm just Yeah, oh, I hate that. I feel like it, I mean, I know it's there to, uh, as kind of like a you know, user experience safety feature, yeah. but I feel like it, like they need it either that or they need to they need to have some sort of infinite scrolling when your thumb goes over to the right side just keep scrolling like don't require me yeah, to keep moving yeah. my thumb it's kind of a it is you know first generation 
So yeah. I mean, hopefully it'll it'll get better next next time. But I can see the potential um, there. I don't use the multitasking feature uh, with 3D Touch just because I'm so trained to double press the home button. It's like one of those things oh, that I, I can't break the habit. I think that's like probably my main, my my go-to for 3D Touch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, if people don't know what we're talking about, it's the um, to get to the uh, multitasking uh, cards view. You uh, swipe from the left off the screen by pressing and pressing down a little, mm-hmm. a little harder than the normal. Very convenient. Yeah, it, wor- it works pretty well, but I just can't break the habit of double pressing because I've been doing it for so many years. Well, that, that I mean, you know, Apple's marketing to a new demographic. <laughs> it's not all about you, Neil. That's okay. I mean, at this point, they're all power user features, and as with any feature on a Mac or even a PC, there's multiple ways to get things done, and. As long as you don't, you know, abandon the people that learn to do it the old way, then as long as it works, who cares? Speaking about abandoning people, <laughs> do you have a do you have something to say about a, a certain camera manufacturer, uh, a certain action camera manufacturer? Which GoPro do you have? Hero Four. What's it? What is the black? The black. black. So that's the one that does thirty frames per second, four K. And you live in Hawaii. You've got gorgeous scenery there. Do you surf or scuba dive or anything like that? Yeah, you take it out to uh, take it out to the beach, uh, hiking. What else? And then, you know, cutting the lawn and stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> so you like your GoPro? Yeah, I mean it's a uh, it's a it's a handy little tool that you can just like pop in a bag or whatever, or my girlfriend's bag, and uh, whip it out. When you, when you need it, and um, it it shoots very, uh, I feel like you know, very good video. So, GoPro announced their earnings this week, and they fell off a cliff. Uh, they're they're down thirty percent year over year from where they were the the holiday quarter of twenty fourteen. They are now a publicly traded company who can't find their footing. They're getting undercut by a bunch of cheap knockoffs and they're also stuck with this issue of they have people like myself and Mikey who are happy customers who have absolutely zero reason to upgrade their GoPro. Here's what I'll ask you, Mikey. What could GoPro announce this year in a new hero model to replace the four black that would make you buy another 400 or $500 camera to upgrade? What could they possibly announce? Um. Uh, well, they could add more battery life, magically, mm-hmm. and also uh, integrate a screen without adding uh, bulk. So the impossible. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there's not really much they can do to expand beyond their current loyal customer base, because. You know, after the GoPro Hero 2, there just aren't a lot of reasons to upgrade. They made it a little bit smaller or whatever. But there are so many things that GoPro could expand into and address. I mean, is there a camera company out there that has had success in the last five years? And I mean, not like Apple making iPhones with cameras in them. I mean, a camera company that has, you know, really made a splash in the average public consumer way. That like GoPro has. You look at Canon. I, look I think at, Sony you know, would probably be the the biggest uh, yeah, success Sony, story. 
and and they sell their modules to Apple. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean. and Sony, you know, you look at I again, as I mentioned before, I have a Sony Alpha camera and I love it, but I'm more of an enthusiast. GoPro is selling, I think they've sold like 25 million cameras to date or something. They said yesterday. Yeah. I mean, they've sold a lot of cameras. I, I I would be shocked if Sony has sold that many in the in the last few years. GoPro is the biggest success story in cameras, cameras specifically, uh, in the last few years, and they've squandered it all because they haven't... First of all, you can't tell what's going on with their lineup. Look at their lineup and try to figure out what's what and what you're going to get. It's, I mean, you need a, a, a master's degree in, in uh, science to understand what they're doing, like with all these specifications and stuff. And it's all the same product that comes out. Like even their, their latest revamp, the... Um, uh, the session, the smaller one, they introduced that thing with a $400 price, which is the same as the high-end Hero 4. And the only thing that was different, even though it had like fewer specifications and wasn't as good, was that it was smaller and that was it. Was the size of the GoPro really bothering anybody that much? Was it that like big and heavy that it was a problem for 99% of use cases? I feel like no. And also the session is... It, it, it's almost equally ungainly in that right. uh, it's a cube, and um, I mean the mounts are are they all fit on the old old stuff. But again, it's it's just a couple. It's like an inch off of one side, and um, I mean it's good for people who want to mount it on their wrist or. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that, and and at two hundred dollars, it makes yeah. sense. At four hundred, it made absolutely no yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean the the specs were just not there, and um, I feel like it was more of a they're they're over they're overly confident in in their user base and that it will keep growing. Right. It wasn't there's marketed. No there's no incentive yeah. for for it's enthusiasts. It's it's dude bros on the slopes that bo- that bought GoPros. And they're happy with their GoPros, but they're not going to upgrade. Why would they buy a new one? There's nothing. There's nothing that's been offered from GoPro that would give you an incentive to upgrade, like like we established. I still yeah. have my uh, uh, Hero Three Plus Black, um, and I have absolutely no reason to upgrade. And so, GoPro sales went off a cliff. They're kind of doing damage control. Their next quarter outlook is terrible. I think uh, analysts were expecting them to report like three hundred. Uh, million in revenue, and it's actually like 160 million in revenue projected for next quarter, so half of what the market was expecting. Uh, so they're trying to do damage control. They've got a drone coming out that's mm. going to be a self-flying drone. They put a, some footage out today of it flying through the air uh, of a guy taking off, like uh, about to do a flip on his skis at a at a park, and throws it in the air, and it gets a spectacular footage. On the way up, flies just by a ski lift. <laughs> where it could potentially clip a human being and you know damage their face, and then gets this great aerial footage. So I watch this video and I think, first of all, GoPro can't even sell a decent camera for under four hundred bucks. Apparently, how much are they going to charge for this drone? Especially in a market where the likes of DJI are selling six hundred dollar yeah phantom yeah. cameras that look great. Yeah. Um. So how are they going to compete with that? I have no idea. But then you look at this video and it's like, how long is it going to be until every freaking ski resort on planet Earth says, <laughs> you can't bring your drone here, you idiot, because you're going to injure somebody because it's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, this is this GoPro is getting into a market where not only are they not going to make any money, but 
they're going to be banned to oblivion. You're not going to be able to fly this product anywhere. So I don't see. I, I'm 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 curious to see because as a drone enthusiast, I'm in, I'm curious to see what they do and how they do it. But I don't really have high hopes just for those reasons. Uh, they also are working on a VR camera. Okay. Who's yeah. got a VR headset? Who's going to buy one? You know, if they're trying to turn around and and fix their uh, their their losses, their their year over year sales declining, how on earth is a uh, VR camera going to fix that? When people, most people don't own VR headsets to look at the footage. And then they say that they got a new Hero Five coming out, which can be more convenient and connected, is what the CEO said. Okay the stuff we talked about earlier, the pain it is to wirelessly connect to your devices. They're going to fix all that. They're going to make that work better because in my experience, nobody can fix it. Not even Apple at this point. So GoPro is in a lot of trouble right now and they're not even addressing the biggest problems with their cameras. And you've used GoPros, you know this, the fisheye lens. What are your thoughts on the fisheye lens? (sighs) It's hard to correct and post. Um, I mean, it's great. It's all, it's all right uh, as a concept, I guess. But I was home for Christmas a couple months ago, and one of my nieces was there, and she, I showed her some footage uh, from a ski trip last year, shot on a GoPro, and the first thing she said to me was, "It looks so flat, and the mountains look so small." And it's yeah. like, it wasn't flat, and the mountains weren't small. I was out in Park City, but doesn't matter because it's on a fisheye lens which makes everything beyond two feet in front of your face look insignificant and i know why gopro uses a fisheye it's so you can just strap the thing on your head not worry about if you got everything in the frame you know that you're gonna get your sweet downhill footage and then that's it just set it and go you don't have to worry about it but it looks like crap and they've got to have some way to you know do something, whether correct it in software or have swappable lenses or sell models that maybe have less of a fisheye effect or just a flat lens on it, that kind of stuff. I mean, the fact that they haven't addressed that issue, which has been there from day one of the GoPro, makes me wonder what they're thinking when they're developing their products. And the other main problem with the GoPro, if you've watched any amateur footage that's not you know, shot by their uh, sweet uh, uh, promotional videos, is it's shakier than hell, right? Mm. Any, I don't care what you're doing with it. It looks like crap. And so that's why you see all these Kickstarter campaigns for these gimbals and, and uh, stuff like that that make the GoPro footage smooth because the camera itself doesn't have any good optical image stabilization and the company doesn't sell any way of stabling the footage either. And so if I feel like they could address both of those with new products that would expand their market. And then people like you and me would look at that and go, I want that. Mm. Yeah, I would buy one with an optical image stabilization. Yeah, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be too hard to build it in. I think. Um, but the I mean they they do tout the what is it is it one thirty degrees yeah. of a uh, field of view. Yeah. yeah, I think I mean and that's like one of their that's their signature thing. They've they've turned that they've turned that negative into a positive. Well, for they them. say that they're a content company. What money are they making off content? They're selling cameras, and what they should do is expand their camera lineup. They should sell more cameras. Why not get into the mirrorless large form camera business? Sell like a durable camera that uh, uh, is like, you know, weather resistant kind of thing and compete with the likes of, you know, those like uh, $700, $800, $900, you know, and up cameras 
why not make one of those and sell it to you know weekend warriors and people that like to hike and take sweet photos of the stars at night and that kind of stuff why not yeah well i mean you got to see where it came from right i mean you remember do you have you seen like the the prototype and like the first gen gopros the the film yeah i mean uh, yeah so i mean they came from humble beginnings i guess i mean the, the platform itself is kind of prohibitive to these you know great changes not only because of its small form factor but because um it just wasn't designed to kind of last through these technological uh, shifts that we're going through, especially, um, you know, as optics and stuff get, get better. Right. Apple, Apple is, Apple's platform is obviously, you know, built for that. It, they made a good decision, but I mean, GoPro is kind of not, I feel like, um, I don't know, like if they, if they sold like the shuffle as I don't know, shuffle <laughs> the session as like a like a $150 accessory yeah. that you could, uh you know, augment your primary footage and like, you know, maybe strap it to the back of your head or something. Yeah. And then they would have like software syncing between the two, something like that. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could do that. I mean, or you could or like you said, make make a, a flagship robust uh like a still camera. Yeah, like a That'd mirrorless with swappable yeah. lenses that, you know, uh, th- to me, they're not a content company. They're a camera company. And there's a huge market of people that have iPhones and smartphones, and they don't think the photos are good enough on them. And they'll happily pay for a camera that suits their needs. Yeah. You know, uh, ever since uh, Nikon got rid of the uh, Nikonos underwater camera. Yeah. It, there hasn't really been a viable replacement. I mean, there's been point and shoot, so you can bring underwater, and then um, a lot of uh, housing yeah. makers make their their stuff like o- uh, oceanic or whatever. Yeah. Um, but there hasn't been an interchangeable lens platform that is built to just you know swap on the lens and you know go down beneath the seas. And I feel like more people are doing that now because GoPro. Uh, exists as you know as an entity so more people are taking underwater footage and I feel like it's kind of rekindled this interest in underwater photography and no one's really going after that market I mean there's a few digital you know like pocket pocket cams that um, can go down like 30 feet right or whatever yeah but it's it's nowhere near the capabilities of GoPro is like uh, 150 feet or something yeah so I mean if GoPro brings that um, their weatherproofing technology to a still camera. I I would probably be interested in it. But does but does they, GoPro even have any weatherproofing technology? I mean, the camera itself isn't waterproof. It just goes in a plastic enclosure. Uh, the session is oh, okay. um, natively. Yeah, because all the previous GoPros, it just came in like an airtight plastic yeah. casing. Yeah. And you know, obviously. If you're talking about swappable lenses with a waterproof camera, that's a that's a engineer's nightmare. Like the points of failure there, there are just so many things that could go wrong. But um, you know, if you could make something like a plastic shell that wouldn't be obtrusive and could work, 
then why not? I, I, I think there's a market for that kind of stuff. I think they could expand into it. I, I don't understand. And, and these are just ideas. I mean, what, what the hell do I know, right? But uh, I look at GoPro and it's like, where are your ideas? What are you doing? You know, VR and drones, really? That's I think the they're space chase- you're going into? Yeah. Not, not only are they kind of chasing the field, but I think they're choosing the wrong fields yeah. to chase. You know, I, it's kind of... I mean, they're they're great. I mean, they're interesting and intriguing, but there's no real, you know, f- there's no base there. Uh, it's a it's a super niche product and or products that may or may not take off. I mean, just like just like three D, uh, just like three D video, right? right? And in the movies, which I absolutely hate hated from the beginning, right? It's terrible. Um, and now that's finally dying. In your face, James Cameron. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's it's like it, it's a fad, and a lot of some of these things are fads. I'm not sure if VR is going to be a fad because I, I, the hardware that they have out there now, or that they're promising, is really intriguing. They have some good stuff like the HCC Vive. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen the the promo stuff for that. But I mean, yeah, that yeah. looks that looks pretty incredible. But I mean, it still is cost prohibitive prohibitive to the average consumer so i don't know exactly what gopro's game plan is i feel like nick woodman sitting on his yacht and kind of like thing like it'd be awesome if if i if i had like this camera and i took vr footage and then i (laughs) slapped on my oculus and i could watch it back it'd be great yeah because we're a content company right dude totally well and and the thing is the laws of physics say that Dedicated standalone cameras will always be a market. That market is not going anywhere, no matter how popular the iPhone gets as a camera, because you you can only fit so many optics into that small of a space. If you want good photos and good video, you're going to need a larger form factor. It's just mm. physics. It's just reality at that point. And until we can get to crazy levels of technology, it's going to take a while. And it may never happen. And so there's always going to be a market for these standalone cameras that offer these advanced capabilities. Now, you know, there there are rumors about the iPhone 7, uh, at least the Plus one, having a dual uh, lens on it for, um, uh, I guess, higher quality photos, maybe DSLR quality, although that's just something that they say, and maybe even optical zoom, which would be awesome. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, from what I heard from Ming-Chi Kuo uh, and, um, you know, the other rumors, it, it sounds like Apple's not, uh, they're going to use the, how, how do you pronounce it, like a LifeX, mm-hmm. I guess yeah. you would say? Yeah, it's an acquisition Life, they made. LifeX, LifeX, whatever, anyway. LifeX, yeah. So they're, that company specializes in multi-lens, you know, Usually, like four four lenses or more, right? Um, to and they you know they stitch together stuff with software, but if it sounds to me like they just used uh, LifeX technology as far as um, uh, placing the cameras in the phone and you know just getting them to work together, it doesn't seem like they're going to use the 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 image data in conjunction with each other. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're going to have one lens slave to wide angle and they're going to have another lens that has um optical zoom right uh and you know uh, optical image stabilization or maybe the whole thing will have will be in like a ois cradle or something but it doesn't sound to me like they're gonna 
you know, really leverage that LifeX uh, tech to its full advantage. Not which yet. Would be, Not yet. I mean, it's, it's the first generation of it. Yeah. I but mean, I nobody's done are, anything like this in a, in, a, in a consumer smartphone yet. Right. Well, wait, didn't... Um, HTC there's a, had a there's dual, a couple, HTC yeah, there's had a dual a, camera a dual thing. One, Nokia uh, had one, right? But Nokia's yeah. wasn't a dual lens. It was just like one fat, like 42 megapixel lens or something like that, I believe. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, I'd really like to see... I mean, it's a good... It's interesting direction that they're going, right? They're going to they're gonna expand the, the capabilities of the iPhone to shoot close, near and far. And I am going to be so zoom. mad if this is in the 7 Plus and not the 7. I'm going to be so ticked off. Oh, well, I mean, they're going to have to differentiate somehow. Ugh, no, they don't. The big screen is enough to differentiate. Give me the camera. It's, it is... Uh, it would muddy the waters because, I mean, what Ming-Chi Kuo is saying is they're going to have the 7 and then the 7 Plus and then the 7 Plus whatever with the, with the dual... Oh, he's saying it's going to be lens. a separate model in a, like yes. entirely? Yes, like the, yeah. The, the photographer? That, that's no, what, that's not going to happen. No way. He said, well, he said because no. they got burned the last time um, they released a, a new product and were, uh, were uh, supply constrained, right? And they're saying that, or he's saying from his sources within the supply chain that uh, the same story is happening with this. No. I don't dual buy camera it. system. I don't buy I don't it. I don't know, man. No, no, they will not do that. Well, in both cases, it's uh, not good for the consumer because they're going to have to choose, Yeah. you know, a huge Huge phone and then extra for the, the, no. The camera tech will be built in. The question is whether they make it just the 7 Plus and not the 7. I, would, I feel like I they angry. would do that. Yeah, I feel, like, I, I feel like that's more possible, but they're not going to sell two 7 Pluses with two different types of cameras. It's not happening. What if they? Uh, <laughs> what if they don't sell a seven and they only sell a seven plus? <laughs> I'm switching to Android. Have you <laughs> used uh, Allo Clip? Uh, no. So I have the Allo Clip uh, with uh, one side just has like a polarizing lens filter or whatever. Who cares? Uh, right. But the other side is a two x zoom. Yeah. Um, and I use that a lot. It's easily pocketable. And um, works with your iPhone, just snaps over the uh, um, the phone itself. The only problem is you can't really do it with a case because it fits snugly on the phone. But you know those those mountable lenses are a pretty interesting concept. I know that there's magnetic ones out there too, where you can like put a special case or even just like put a sticker, a magnet around the uh, camera on your phone, and then you can just pop this lens on there and it'll stick. That's an interesting concept that Apple could potentially explore to improving their cameras too. I, I know there's been patents and stuff for that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't see them yeah. doing it. You know, there's always rumors that like uh, Apple is going to make another camera. I, I think it, uh, cameras were one of the things that uh, Steve Jobs, before he died, told uh, biographer Walter Isaacson that it was a market he was interested in getting back into. Um, I think they're already in that market pretty well with the iPhone. I don't, yeah. see, I don't see them selling a standalone camera. But to bring it back full circle with GoPro too. Uh, Mikey, you were the one that wrote the patent story last year about Apple with a GoPro-style uh, uh, concept. That it was a patent they'd acquired from Kodak, and it sent yeah. uh, it sent uh, GoPro's stock tanking when it came out. GoPro's stock right. is down like 80% over the last year since that came out. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because uh, Apple, th that patent just came with a 
cache of other patents they acquired from Kodak. And um, it's that cube that they made, right? Yeah. Well, um, was it the cube? I think I'm it was. Not sure if it, was it, well, it was one of their. It was cube. It was cameras. cuboid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was. It was like. Oh, no, it wasn't cube. It was a rectangle, but it looked kind of odd. It was kind of GoPro esque. It was GoPro esque, I would say. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, as soon as the media caught wind of that, like, oh my God, Apple's going to build a GoPro competitor right. and destroy GoPro, as it, you know. Uh, but I don't know. I don't. I don't see that happening. No. Walter Isaacson, as many people note, is not in touch with technology, and that the autobiography kind of makes suggestions that are bordering on, you know, false. Yes, Steve Jobs had cracked it. The uh, the issue to fixing HD TVs, right? And here we are. Yeah. Here we are. What four, five years later? Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is the interpretation that Isaacson brought. Right. You know, he, I mean, he just didn't interpret what, he couldn't understand or process what Jobs was saying in the context of the larger tech industry. So, I don't know. Uh, But you agree, Apple is never going to release a standalone camera, right? Not again, no. Yeah. Although the first one they they launched was pretty sick, (laughs) right? I would, uh... No, it was not, but it was huge <laughs> and awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So in uh, in sadder, not sad, but more disappointing news, uh, Vernet X, the acclaimed patent troll, uh, won their case against, uh, against Apple's FaceTime, iMessage, and VPN services. Uh, to the tune of $626 million, which is one of the largest damages awards the tech industry has seen when it comes to uh, this kind of, uh, uh, these patent claims. So, what I mean, what do you think about that, Neil? I mean, we, we've been covering this kind of stuff yeah. for years. I mean, I didn't, I didn't get into writing about Apple to write about legal stuff. I, if I did, I would have applied to like Law 360 or something. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's, it as the biggest company in the world, you have a huge target on your back. So um, I guess it was inevitable that the lawsuits would come. But I mean, the these patents. Have you taken a look at the case at all? Yeah, and here's all you need to know about this case. The ruling came from the Eastern District of Texas, which is where every patent litigation, especially from patent trolls, is filed because the jury trials there, the people that live there, for whatever reason, don't like big companies, I guess, and they disproportionately side with the patent troll filing against the big-name company. And in this case, they award them 600-whatever-million dollars in damages, all you need to know is that number will not stand. Apple may end up paying Vertnet X something, but it will not be this $650 million because Apple will appeal and the damages will be reduced and it will drag on and on and on and on. Uh, you yep. already see stuff like that going on with the Samsung case. Samsung is trying to um, petition the Supreme Court to hear the case and discuss uh, intellectual property law, which they haven't done in 122 years. But the what were the original damages in that case? What one point five billion or whatever it was? One point zero two. Okay, one point zero two for for the for the for the case that they're arguing. Yeah, and now that's been halved, more than halved, right? 
So this is going to drag on. It's going to be a process. It's going to be whatever. But you know, these these patent trolls that don't actually make any products like Vernet X, um, they they don't sell anything. They just had an idea and they patented it and they're abusing it. And they're also abusing the legal system because in the Eastern District of Texas, that's where these things go through. So it's not fair and it's stupid. It's a. Uh, do you find it the epitome of capitalism that Vernet X is a public company? <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, that's a pretty bad one, gotta say. Yeah. So I mean, uh, Vernet X is a failed company, right? I mean, they had these patents right. and they they couldn't make it materialize in the consumer market, and so they said, "Hey, we're not uh You know, some other people are. Uh, Having the having more success with the features that we tried to have success with, right? We were Couldn't we were it. here first, so we thought of it we, first, so. we we need to sue them, and uh, yeah, I mean they've they are successful at doing it. They've they've forced Microsoft to settle twice yep. already, um, and they have uh, <coughs> they have they have a bunch of cases with the you know a bunch of different huge tech companies. So I mean it, it's a it's a profitable business model, but is it a business model that we should let stand. I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. It doesn't really do anything to, to drive uh, market innovation. It doesn't really. It it actually hinders it. So I'm. Not, I, I I agree with everything you just said. It's uh it's pretty crazy, but. <laughs> it's interesting because I mean Apple uh the they won an appeal and they had the initial verdict vacated, which was three hundred sixty eight million or something. Yeah. yeah three hundred sixty eight million. And then, uh, well, when when the appeals court vacated that, they opened the door to new claim construction. So basically, that means uh, uh, royalties on you know ongoing infringement. And from 2012 to 20 to whatever 2015, when the second case was heard, um, Apple of course popped with the iPhone uh, five or, and especially six and six S, right? So. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of those products are lumped in now, and it just gave them a chance to just snowball it even more. Yeah, it and of course the uh, it was a unanimous decision right. by the jury, which is I don't know, it's kind of fishy, kind of <laughs> fishy, but uh, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. They'll just be giving <laughs> Apple will be giving whatever money they get from Samsung to Vernon X. I, I would love to go to what is it, Tyler County or whatever, the Eastern Division where the where these cases go on. And I want to get to know the people there. Like, what is it in the water? They're they're very tech-savvy. They're a <laughs> tech-savvy community. They know all about tech. Yeah, they're, they're clearly salty folks there that uh, don't like big business and want to stick it to the man or something. I don't know what's in the water there, but I w- that would be something that I would enjoy, just going there and getting to know the locals in yeah. uh, the Eastern District of Texas. Good barbecue here. <laughs> well, this has been episode 54 of the Apple Insider Podcast. Uh, with me today was Neil Hughes. Neil, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can read my uh, musings at Apple Insider, and uh, I'm also on Twitter at This Is Neil. Will there be GoPro rants? On Twitter, uh, only, I'm, I'm, only if people tweet at me, then maybe. Okay, please tweet at Neil about uh, 
how great you think GoPro is as a company. <laughs> um, and I am Mikey Campbell. You can uh, find me on Apple Insider and also on Twitter at MikeyCampbell81. Have a good one.